All right. Thank you, Brother Kevin. Appreciate that so very much. Your singing is getting better with age. Okay. <laughs> Nahum chapter 3 and verse 1. Nahum chapter 3 and verse 1. As we look at progressive civilization. Nahum chapter 3. And verse 1 is our text. And in Nahum, we read in verse 1, Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. Now shall we pray. Father, this is the message, Lord, as we've been going through this book. And Lord, we've just seen things build up. We look at society today, Lord, and we just think of the families that were bereaved up in Pittsburgh yesterday, Lord, and just the violence that covers this nation, but this world as well. We realize that you destroyed the world in Noah's day, and one of the main things that was involved was violence. So, Lord, I pray you'd help us to be a light in a darkened country. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Progress can mean something good or it can mean something bad, depending on the situation. For example, communism in Russia. Russia became the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic. Now, I find that interesting because there are a lot of people now starting to say, we need socialism. Well, that's what Russia was, okay? That was a socialistic, communistic country. And if you want to know what socialism is, look at China. Look at Korea's, uh, the North Korea. Look at old Russia. That's what it is in the present day as well. But that uh, fell in December 26, on December 26, 1991, from being the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. But those years, they were there. Socialists would say that is progress. But it's not called progress by people who would want to believe in individual freedom that is restricted only by laws that prevent us from assailing free individuals, be it in the physical, social, financial realm, or even in the idea of worshiping God. And yet laws that protect us and our children from the most immoral Actions of men and women. That's why a strong police force is needed in a country. Don't, don't get excited. I'm not getting into a political statement here. I'm just saying that's why it is needed by the Word of God. That's why it's needed to keep a country free and, and to keep it moral and physically free. Now, when God designed government, and he designed government, if you want to go back and look at Genesis, uh, he designed government, and that was its responsibility, protect its people. That's its main, most important responsibility is protection. And so that's why we're for that, because it's God's idea, not ours. Now, this first verse shows the condition of Nineveh before her sudden fall. Everything seems to be going great. 
and then boom, it falls suddenly. As 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 uh, tells us, it, it says there that, let him take, uh, that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Because it can be sudden, it can happen quickly as it did with Nineveh. And it did happen with them. In their minds, in Nineveh, everything was progress. Boy, things are going great. You know, it's, it's progress and their daily life. Boy, I tell you, it was wonderful. They thought, I mean, uh, in verse 1, they think that's great. We look at it and say that's terrible. But boy, they thought it was great. Hence, but verse 1 also pictures the condition of this world before the rapture. Now, I think we see a lot of these conditions already in America, but America is not where prophecy centers. It actually centers on Israel. But here we're looking at the world. And the whole world seems to be caught up in these things as they're described here in verse 1 of chapter 3. So let's look here at our text because these are things that are going to be happening just before the tribulation period. And, of course, that tells us that the rapture comes before that, and so we must be ready. But he says first, uh, the bloody city. Woe to the bloody city, he says. Now, think of that word, woe. What does that word mean? I, you know, a lot of times we give definitions, but t other times I think illustrations are better than the definition. And I think it's so in this case because God is the one that's saying woe. Every word of this Bible was breathed out by the very Spirit of God. And so because of that, uh, this is God. And so let's, let's look at illustrations of God's use of the word woe. And we see it in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 13. He says, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe! Woe! Woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Three woes are pronounced. The first woe is uh, seen, and it's when creatures in Revelation chapter 9 come up out of the pit. They come up out of the pit, and then they begin to sting men, causing them a paralyzing pain. The pain will be so bad, they want to kill themselves, but because of the per paralyzing effect, they will not be able to do that, although they desire it. We say it, the Bible tells us that lasts for five months. The Bible doesn't tell us really what happens to those creatures that are scorpion-like creatures, but evidently, it doesn't say they die. Evidently, they return back to the pit, which tells me that perhaps one of the uh, tortures of eternity in that lake of fire. Now, get it out of your mind. You've got a lot of these religious people going around saying, well, I think hell is just being separated from God and that's it. And, and the worst hell I could think of is being, not being able to pray and have God hear me. Look, there are people living on this planet now that that doesn't bother them. They even know about God and it still doesn't bother them. So why would it bother them then? No, hell is a real place. It is a real place. I believe that God 
I don't think it's that body that's laying in the casket. I think God puts a body over your spirit that can still feel the pain that we feel today, can feel the pain of a flame, can be tormented. I think it can feel all those things. I believe that body will be able to feel that torment, be able to feel the stings. Even the, even the rich man in hell said, I am tormented in this flame. He mentioned torment and flame. So uh, the Bible's right. Others may think they're right. But I always found it's always best to go with what God says. But there's an example of the first woe. But that's not the only woe. There's a second woe that is given. And by the second woe, there's an army of the kings of the east of 200 million that march towards Israel, towards Jerusalem, on there at the, near the end of the tribulation. The Bible says they march for one year, one month, one day. They're on that march going there. And, and as they reach that place, they have been able to eliminate one-third of men, the Bible tells us. That's a woe. That's a woe. That woe is greater than the first woe. But the third woe is even greater than that because we're told also in the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes back, blood will flow to the horse's bridle. And it'll flow for a space of anywhere from 160 to 200 miles. It will be a terrible time. That is woe. And that's when Jesus comes back and sets up his millennial kingdom. So when God says, woe, it's bad. It's bad. It's called a bloody city here in our text. The word bloody comes from a Hebrew word that has the idea of bloodshed, slaughter, bloodthirsty, Blood guiltiness. As a matter of fact, if you'll notice there in verse 1, woe to the bloody city, and he uses an exclamation point. That's not supplied by man. That's God's exclamation point. And that is God's holy anger with this city being pointed out to us. They have shed much blood, but they don't see any problem with that bloodshed. They, they look at it as something innocent. We think of babies. And men try to tell us that they're mere tissue inside the mothers. If they want to call it a fetus, why not call the mother a homo sapien? Well, that's not human. Told us in biology, that's what a human is. So if you're going to make the... You're going to be consistent in your argument. Say baby and mother or homo sapien and fetus. Okay, at least be consistent. Uh, uh, you know, you single people, you don't go out and say, oh, there's a beautiful homo sapien. You know, that just doesn't happen that way. Well, here they are. Babies are being put to death. In America, multitudes, so we've even passed up 
the six million babies that were uh, Jews that were killed in Germany. We pass it up many times. And yet they view this bloodshed as innocent action. They think that life in the womb is not a life, but if your mother conceived you in sin, as we all are, then that is a life because an inanimate object does not sin. We are born, we were conceived in sin. Just as babies in Nineveh were offered on an altar to Baal or Baal, if you want to say it that way. They were offered to that false god and they were placed on an open fire and their bodies burned in a sacrifice to that false god. So we see today, Many babies are offered on an altar. But that altar is just a little bit different. For the most part, the reason for murder by abortion was for both ethnic as well as racial cleansing. And when you find the people behind that, that's why... Let's, let's get this group. Let's get this group. Let's, let's, and they go after the ethnic group they want to eliminate or the race they want to eliminate. And boy, hey, we'll give you free abortions. They're just trying to cut out that race. That's what they do. That's what they do. But it's not just for cutting out that race. They have a God of financial gain. And so that's why they do it. We also see it. When we want to preserve guilty blood in this country that has shed innocent blood of others. Now, let me say something very clearly. As a saved person, I should want every person on death row to be saved. Even if he was a mass murderer, even if they murdered children and did these other, we should want every one of them to be saved. But on the other hand, remember the cross. That day at the cross, there were three hanging on crosses. Only the one in the middle was innocent. The two on each side of Jesus Christ were not innocent. They deserved to be where they were. One repented and believed, and the Lord that day saved him and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. But don't forget, when Jesus saved his soul, he didn't take him off the cross. Christ could have taken him off the cross, but he didn't. Christ could have called 12,000 uh, angels. I mean, he, he said, I could call a whole legion, and they'd come down here. But what good would that do? He came to die for our sins. He could have delivered that thief that repented and believed off the cross. But no, why didn't he? Because he still committed crime in this life, and in this life he needed to pay for that crime. And that is the way when man came off the ark, God declared that we should do. And if God says it, then it's right. Society, culture, doesn't change it from being a sin. It is still wrong, it is still evil, it is still rotten in God's sight. 
and, and it should never be allowed. There ought to be a fear that if they take someone's life, that your life is also going to be taken legally. In heaven, that, that thief that got saved on the cross, he's going to have a new body. But let me just point out one other thing that sometimes we miss. That thief would be dead within a few hours. He'll have no treasure laid up. He'll be saved so as by fire. Having accomplished nothing for Jesus. Some people put off salvation. They want to wait till the last minute and they think that they'll die at midnight and they die at 1130 and then it's too late to get saved. Others do get saved, as we say, deathbed conversions. But don't forget this. It may be a deathbed conversion, but, and it could be just as real as your own conversion, but if they have done nothing for Jesus Christ, they are going to go to heaven, but saved so as by fire. Nothing to show for the what was accomplished for Jesus Christ because they accomplished nothing, but they did receive Christ as Savior. Yes, it's a bloody city, but it's not only a bloody city. The next thing I want you to see there, it is full of lies and robbery. Isn't that interesting? Here in that day is the richest city on earth up to that time, yet it's called uh, to be filled with lies and robbery. And when you read chapter 2 that we've uh, already gone through, they had a great store of wealth in the entire city. So with the great army they had and the great store of wealth they had, there is still a problem with lying and stealing and people trying to take things from others. You see, when a heart is steeped, in sin and in the material, it'll never be finally satisfied with what it has. You ever get a car or get a new house? Oh, man, that's a great car. Oh, man, we're so happy with this car. We're so happy with this house. It's not a long period of time. This house, this car. It doesn't have a lasting effect. Or they see somebody else's house or somebody else's car. Now they're not happy with their house or car because of what they've seen what somebody else has. Their house is still good, their car is still good, but they want that. And when your heart is set on the material, your heart will never understand the spiritual riches that are eternal. Have your heart set on eternity. The progress of civilization. Oh my goodness, isn't it progressing? Question is, which way? We say education is so good in America and around the world. I guess that's why there's no violence, there's no lying, there's no adultery, and there's no murder. You take an educated thief, and he goes from robbing convenience stores to embezzling millions from companies. And my friend... Education is not righteousness of itself. Especially when it, in a day when God has been kicked out of the schools along with teaching morals 
and it's been replaced with depravity and debauchery and with homosexual and, and, and gender problems. <laughs> I was reading. <clears throat> now, I want to show you the in intellectual type of reading I do this each week. I was reading Mallard Fillmore in the co comic paper. And it had a cartoon I thought was very interesting. It said, the most feared words for parents today, it's a boy. Unfortunately, as funny as that is, that is also true. This society is so messed up with debauchery that that has become a thing now. It's evil. Call it what it is. There are many religions and governments who try to justify their lies and robbery in order to reach their goals, believing that the end justifies the means. By the way, that's what Marxism is. The end justifies the means is Marxism. Unfortunately, they're not being taught that in schools today. But the end justifies the means is Marxism, communism, socialism. But it's unfortunate today that we see that it's not just with that uh, idea, Muslims life and accomplishes their end. I found that there are uh, numerous times that Calvinists will lie to reach their religious goals. Liberal theologians will lie and say, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but if you try to really corner them on it, oh, we believe in it's a spirit resurrection, not a bodily resurrection. And if you follow it all the way out, you find out that they are just lying Just, just to try to get what they want. The end justifies the means is an admission of their tactics and lies are wrong, that their very belief is wrong, their mission is wrong because they've got to use tactics and lie because the truth will not help their cause. Because the truth goes against their cause. This attitude reverberates in communism, socialism, humanism, and secularism. I think it's kind of funny. I mean, it, it really is it's funny to me that a college professor will stand in front of your children and grandchildren in a secular university and say, there are no absolutes. Hmm. In that case, I can't believe what he just said because he said there are no absolutes. I mean, if there's no absolutes, what he said is not absolute. Does that make sense? You see, uh, again, when you get down to it, they say something that sounds good to the ear, but when it's investigated, it is dead wrong because it's not the truth that comes from God. But it happens in the local churches with a social gospel and a works religion, forgetting that Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. They have forgotten where to put off the old man and put on the new man, which is created in righteousness and true holiness. Do yourself a favor sometime and read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and see how that lines up with what's going on in the world today. Instead of reading something that was written nearly 2,000 years ago, you'll think that you're reading what is going on today. 
all the progress of civilization. What they don't know is that it's progressing as a slithering serpent, which Satan is, the Bible tells us, and it's slithering towards Sodom and hell with all of its modern advancements. In Nineveh, whatever was loose, lax, or licentious was the end thing. It was accepted in all strata of society. That's why homosexual marriage, that's why abortion and all these other things are pushed so heavily so that one day it becomes accepted and it's no longer immoral in the eyes of people. But you see, what's moral or immoral in the eyes of people is not important. It's what God says. That's the final authority. Analogy In Isaiah 5.20 it says, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, he's saying, those that call good, bad, bad, good, that'll be very prevalent in the last days. And some of these things I've told you just now are things that are proving that particular prophecy that was made almost 2,700 years ago of the last days. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people, my people, saved people, my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? That is, when judgment begins to happen. Whether it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Romans chapter 1, we'll find that God gives them up for their debauchery and rejection of Him that have turned His grace into lasciviousness and are headed to an eternal lake of fire. The churches of this present day are turning the glory of God into the images of corruption. They make Jesus a rocker who social drinks and gets down with it, undermining and casting doubt on His holiness and holy word and righteousness. Casting the bait of positive only thinking, that philosophy, making them think, well, I said this prayer like it was hocus pocus, therefore I'm all right. But meanwhile, they go to hell because they've been given a false hope. And that old serpent laughs at them all the way to the lake. Yes, it's a bloody city. It was full of lies and robbery. And it's a place where the prey departeth not, we're told. Again, it's somewhat amazing that this city had it all, all that it could need, all that it could want, and more, and yet they would steal for one, from one another because they wanted more. I, oh, I've got my thing, but boy, what they have looks better than mine. I want it. So there is a woe from God is coming to Nineveh that is caught up with the cares of this life, the pleasures of this life, and all of its surfeiting and other things of that nature, and it's filled with immorality, it's filled with drunkenness and social drinking parties and what have you. It's filled with it all. They're even entertained by it. 
Theirs was live entertainment where they would see the nudity and the dancing and all the corruption. Christians are entertained by it today by TV and other means. It doesn't change the fact that it's still wrong. It's still sin. And if that's what entertains you, that says something about your spiritual life. And so a preacher is on the TV, let alone the going to the theater. Well, if that's the case, then why you go to the theater and spend all that money? What, you see, again, when we start trying to justify our sin, we make ourselves seem foolish. Now, not everybody will think you're foolish, but one day you'll stand before God and the one that counts will. And so they're caught up with all these, these things. And that is the progress of civilization today. Today's civilization would make Nineveh blush. But Nineveh's woe is the total annihilation. But that also happens to souls without Christ. Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. We need Christians who will stand strong in faith and be bold in their stand, speaking the word of God in their personal witness. Speaking in the power of the very Holy Ghost of God, as well as those that stand in the pulpit need to do that, so do every saved person with the gospel. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30 and 31 says it this way, God speaking. And I sought for a man among them that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord. Having first time for 70 years and then after that for 1900 years. But there's a tribulation to come and a hell to come is going to even be worse. Now just think of it. As a saved person, you cannot give out tracts. You don't try to witness to a lost soul. Matter of fact, some won't even invite somebody to come to church to hear the gospel preached. And my friend, you may, you may not like it, you may not like it, but I'm going to tell you the truth. You are the reason that this country may fall. Don't expect moral governing bodies if you're unwilling to share the great glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a lost and dying world about us. Here we are, we're having next Sunday, Roundup Sunday, and some have not even tried to invite someone to come. I think it's very important today that you see this altar that's before us here, this, this place where we bow to come and pray and make decisions so often. And why not come and ask God to lay on your heart a soul, the soul that's near as hell, to pray for that soul. Ask God to have you to give you power and favor with that person, that you might be able to encourage them to come and be with you, that they might be under the sound of the gospel and pray for their soul every day of the week that they might get saved.
Are you willing to come and ask the Lord to lay a soul upon your heart? Or are you so worldly that that's beneath your dignity? Something to think about. Every one of you that are saved, you're saved because somebody cared for your soul. Before we close this sermon, let me also say, if you're not sure if you died today, that heaven's your home. My friend, the Christians, this was hard on Christians today. Some Christians, it was hard on them. But that's a piece of cake compared to what eternity in the lake of fire will be because you won't be able to cease to exist. You'll never escape. There'll be no hope. Tormented day and night forever and ever. And yet, what, when you stand before the Lord and he says, my son was sent to die for your sin. He paid your penalty in full. And you start saying, well, you know, I saw some, I knew some Christians. I'm not asking you if you knew some Christians. I'm asking you, why, when you heard and had an opportunity to be saved, you didn't take it? You see, we live in a society that likes to blame your parents, likes to blame uh, people around you, church people, whatever. But when you stand before God, you can't blame anybody. God holds you accountable for yourself. If you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home. Now, friend, Jesus did die for you on the cross. He paid the penalty for every sin you ever have or ever will commit. He was buried, and three days later, he rose up bodily from the grave, and now he's up in heaven preparing a place for us. But I will also tell you this. That decision's between you and God. He'll save you. He said, if you come to him, he'd in no wise cast you out. He said, whosoever will, let him come. That's his promise. Those are his words. You walk out of here without Jesus Christ. You walk out of here and you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home. Let me tell you something. What I've just said, you'll hear every day throughout eternity in the lake of fire. Reminding you that you rejected it. Oh, won't you come to Jesus Christ today. Let's bow our heads.